Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. I invite you to go in your Bible with me. Let's turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Nehemiah. Today we are in chapter 10. Title of the message today, Renewed Vows. So uh, anyone who has uh, not 100% totally kept your vows right now, we can... uh, No, I'm just kidding. It's an important aspect at times. When someone goes through in a relationship, they go through difficulty or even unfaithfulness or separation, and then God grants to them repentance and forgiveness and restores that relationship, and they come back. There's a sense of renewal. This is what we've been looking at in this section. Yes, the wall has been finished. The construction project is done. The physical work is wrapped up, but there's heart work. There's a rebuilding of a nation. There's a rebuilding of a community, and there's a rebuilding in families that needs to, to, to happen, and it happens at an individual level, and that's a lifelong process. But you must begin somewhere. You must start somewhere. Now, in our study, about three weeks have gone by here in Nehemiah, that the people are experiencing this sense of revival and renewal. Now, about three weeks ago in their time, they were weeping and mourning. And you remember the leadership said, now, now hang on a second, pause. Let's celebrate the goodness of God and let's send gifts of food and wine back and forth and let's share and let's be generous And so they went through the Feast of Booze. They've gone through all this. Now three weeks have gone by. They've celebrated. We looked at the timeline last Lord's Day. The people haven't forgotten. They're saying, now we need to go back to where we were. we, We have some major discrepancies in our lives. We have not been living righteously. We have been living unfaithfully. And so we rejoice in the goodness of God, and now we need to go back and we need to put our name in this renewal. So this is where, in our church, it's this way. When someone turns 16 and they've been brought up in the church, that's their opportunity to come to a membership class. That's their opportunity to say, this isn't just, I'm thankful for my parents, my grandparents, but this is not their faith. I'm not riding on their coattails. I believe that the Lord has placed me in this body for a reason. And so I put myself into this. I want to be counted among the number. I want to serve in this way. That's why we do that. So that a a young adult can have the opportunity to come on their own and ask the questions that they want to ask. They're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church today. So we invest into them. Now, easily you might think for Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, for Ezra, he's been at this 14 years. Do you wonder why he is thinking, how come you all weren't listening? Like, we could have done this 12 years ago. 
could have done this 13 years ago. How many times of teaching was he there devoted to the word himself and he couldn't get the people to even come? And there he was day by day by day by day by day. But the point is now they're coming. What happened? It has really very little to do with Nehemiah and Ezra. It has much to do with this is the appointed time and God is moving among his people and something, they're no different. They're the same guys. Ezra's the same guy. He's been at this a long time. Why now? In the very end of this chapter, we will not neglect the house of our God. How many times do you think Ezra said that to people in 14 years? And they just carried on. They just went on. But now they're saying, put our name in there. We will not neglect the house of our God. We should be diligent, study students of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Romans 15, verse 4, I, use, we, we, I, I read this verse often. For whatever was written in former days. Summary, Old Testament. Okay? This is in New Testament, Romans, Paul writing in the New Testament. And he says, the Old Testament, whatever was written in former days, the Old Testament was written for our instruction. We need it. That, here's the purpose, through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, what am I praying and what was Paul praying that the Romans would find as they studied the Old Testament? What we can't live without. What our nation and community is desperate for how many Sundays do I have to say it's just another week of news day by day by day by day by day of more tragedy, more tragedy, more tragedy? Loved ones, of most people talking, they don't know what's at the heart of the tragedies. It's broken hearts. Do you feel second seat? As to, well, I mean, I just, I know Christ. I don't have a PhD. I haven't written any books. You know the one who spoke the world into existence. This is why we gather, we worship him. And he is in, in given this world ambassadors of his who are followers of his, followers of Christ to make a difference everywhere we go. That is what we're seeing happen in the Old Testament renewing this covenant, renewing their vows. A lot of language in the Old Testament is connected, our fathers and we, like we're, we're there, we're, we're them, it's us. Daniel prayed that way. Nehemiah prayed that way, chapter one. It's very different than pointing the finger, blaming them. And they, where, you, where do we get at the end of that? How well does that work? That leads to needing to renew vows to people pointing you, you always, you never, you always. It's very different when it comes out of our mouths, will you forgive me? I offended you. I did wrong. Okay, that, that's what we see. And that's where the humble can be exalted by the Lord. So how did they get to this point? Well, let's look at this chapter 10. Let's read this. I'm going to read out loud. You follow along, and we'll see this and unpack this this morning of a people devoted to no, no longer neglecting the house 
of our God. Nehemiah 10, verse 1. On the seals of the names of Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hekeliah, Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Malchijah, Hatush, that's a good one, Shebaniah, Malak, Haram, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathan, Barak, Mishalem, Abijah, Mijamin, Maziah, Bilgai, Shemaiah. These are the priests. Okay, so we just read the list of the priests. Here are the Levites in verse 9. And the Levites, Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benoi, the sons of Henadad, Cadmiel, and their brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalida, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashabai, Zachar, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Benai, Benayu. The chiefs, now we're into a different group of people. The chiefs in verse 14 of the people, Parash, Pehath Moab, Elam, Zatu, Benai, Bunai, Asgad, Bibai, and they should be a band. I think they should be a band. Adonijah, Bigvi, Adon, after, or Ater, not after, Hezekiah, Ezer, Hodiah, Hashem, Bizai, Harif, Anathoth, Nebai, Magpesh, Meshalem, Hezer, Meshezebel, Zadok, Jadu, Pelatiah, Hanan, Ananiah, Hoshea, and Hananiah, Heshub, Halohesh, Pela, Shobek, Rehum, Hashbena, Meseah, Aiah, Hanan, Anan, Malak, Haram, Bana. Okay, there's the list. That's the, the, now the rest of the people. We're not done yet. No, we're, we're done with some of the names, all right? The rest of the people, so now, now you see the whole community coming together, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to, okay, from to, from the people of the lands to the law of God. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the, on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of the shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We... Now, verse 34, the priests, the Levites and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our father's houses at 
times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the first of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor, and the priests, the sons of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes into the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. Read that last line with me. We will not neglect the house of our God. This is the word of the Lord. How did they get to that point? We will not neglect the house of our God. How do we get to that point? Let's unpack this this morning. When God's people are renewed, okay, this is what we're seeing, they embrace surrender. You know the difference when maybe a child or maybe when you were a child of having to do a job and coming and saying, how can I help? Maybe you are an employer and you know the difference between where did he go again? Where is that guy? I know we hired a guy for that position. Oh, he's on his cell phone out back on the, on the picnic table again. Wow, we can't ever get him in here on the job. Frustrating. Okay, fine. Very different than the job is finished. Do you have anything else that I can do? That job is finished. That's the person you want to hire, right? Hey, I, I, I'm done with that. Already? I still crack up when I think about, I see guys putting on roofing. And uh, we got a roofing project coming up, by the way, soon, somewhere this summer. And I remember uh, working for a family in our church, and, and we, they, did, they built homes. It was a family, father, two sons, and then here comes me. I think I was about 95 pounds wet. And uh, I don't know what good I was, but they put up with me. And I remember them saying one day I was doing roofing on just one little overhang on, a back, on the back over a, uh, probably a Florida room or something like that. They trusted me with that. And they came back like, you're not done yet? You're still on this? And I'm like, man, I got to pick up the pace. I, I was trying to get them all straight, and they're probably thinking, you should be on the fourth roof by now, you know, just slow poke wise, give them another job. <laughs> you know the difference when someone is there, how can I help, what can I do, instead of you have to chase them down and find them, okay, fine. These people are renewed. First of all, we see this. These individuals, we break this down. There's four ways we're going to break this passage down. First of all, we see the signators, all right? This is a, a technical word, the signers, the signators of the covenant. They're coming in with their rings to put their seal on it. And what do we see? Leadership must lead boldly. 
Okay, they came back. They didn't forget about it. Oh, I forgot you asked me to do that. Don't you love that one? Oh, I forgot about that assignment you gave to me. Oh, I forgot again. All right. Could you maybe remember what's given to you and do it? These individuals didn't forget. And they come back. This is the leadership of Israel. They come back ready to sign the line. We're all in. Leadership must lead boldly. In verse 1, we see there that all of these individual seals. There's a personal commitment here. It was authentic. It couldn't be forged. They would come with their signet. The wax would be, you know, hot. It would be poured on the document, and they would one by one put their seal on that document. A very important, and, a, and there's a ceremony happening here. Whenever I officiate a wedding, I have a document, and I'm waiting for that bride and groom when they're all finished saying goodbye, you know, oh, thank you for coming or whatever. Now come back and sign here and here and sign again. Usually it's a triplicate, you know, and then the witnesses sign, sign, sign. It's always fun for the bride, unless she's practiced that new name. <laughs> sign the line. You made the covenant, you made the commitment, now sign it, and then I have that responsibility. Get the letter in the mail with the stamp on it and don't forget it. I, I'm always nervous that that letter in that, you know, it's about this big, is going to go into somewhere. You have a certain window of time to get it back to the county clerk. It's an official document. That's what we're seeing here. We also see the community strength. All of these individuals, every single group had an important role in the life and the community of Israel. There's strength in numbers. I'm sure Ezra felt like he was kind of alone. It's interesting his name isn't listed here. He's been there all along. He's the one that's going to be benefiting from people actually remembering the house of the Lord their God. He's been there. He doesn't need a renewal of covenant. He's devoted himself when it wasn't any fanfare and there wasn't anybody applauding him. He set his heart to seek the Lord and to study his word and to teach. That's back in Ezra. Fourteen years later, there's other people saying, we're here, we're all in, and they're leading now, if you go back some, a generation before and you go back prior to the exile, listen to what the Lord says to the prophet Jeremiah. In the same area, the Lord says, it's in Jeremiah 5.1, the Lord says to Jeremiah, he says, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares, listen now, to see if you can find a man. Jeremiah. Go run around and see if you can find a man. What kind of man, Lord? It's not going to come up on the screen. One who does justice and seeks truth. If Jeremiah could have found one man, the Lord says, if you find one man willing to do this, do justice and seek truth, you know what I will do for Jerusalem? I will pardon her. And he couldn't find one. They went into exile. Now they're back. And you know what men are doing? They're realizing the Lord has given us the broader shoulders for a reason. 
And it's not to wield our power and authority around. It's to serve him and to love him and to lead well our families and to love them and to lead them in the right way they should go. And we are learning our lesson. And we don't want to, Lord, you can find more than one. Here you go. It's about 44 names. Put my name in there. Do you think a membership role matters? It does. The governor is there. The priests are there. There's 22 of them. The Levites are there. There's 17 of them. The chiefs of the people, there's 44. Imagine how encouraged Ezra must have felt. All them times, I don't know how many attended the Bible studies he was doing. I don't know how lonely, how many times he felt like quitting. Well, we're at the small group again. Where are the men? They're here now. They're here now. They're going to lead boldly now. So let's look secondly at the significance of the covenant. We see the people, they sign their name, it matters, or it wouldn't be in Scripture. Let's look at the significant, the significance of this covenant. And here we see that devotion must be supreme. There's a high cost here. It must be at the top. They didn't forget we have unattended business at the house of the Lord. So they went through the feasts and they went through the celebrations and then they came back. It doesn't seem like Ezra had to go gather everybody. Hey, don't forget, don't forget. Hey, this is coming up, don't forget. They were ready to go back. It's a very different thing if you're an instructor, if you're a teacher and everybody is gathering, can, you know, can you teach us some more? Instead of... Ah, we almost done yet, you know? It's very different. There's something different happening in Israel here, and I'm going to say it again. I don't think it's because Ezra's different. I think he's been the same steady guy, growing in grace, growing in his knowledge of the word, growing God, growing his heart. But God is changing these people. He's changing the men. So we see that in verse 28, they're united together into 29. All of these groups mentioned, they're coming together, they're coming to gather the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, as all the ones who could hear and understand, I'm not sure what age that would be a cutoff, they join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. This is a commitment. They're united. So they swore an oath together. That's what it means. They entered into a curse. All right, so you think about it. We think of cursing. Okay, often it's using inappropriate language, cursing, or technically it's calling down a curse of judgment, damnation, pronouncing something on someone, a curse upon them. Somebody cuts someone off in traffic. I pronounce a curse on you. There's a lot of different ways that that's done quickly. How does God view this? They're entering into, into a curse, okay? So it's literally, whenever a covenant is in the Bible, 
It's literally cutting a covenant. The custom of a covenant would be there would be two parties entering into a covenant. There would be an animal. The animal would be cut in two. Obviously, it would be dead then. It would be laid one side open, the other side open, and the two parties would walk between the dead animal. And what would they be saying? Cutting a covenant? That if I don't keep my end of this bargain, this deal, this covenant, may I be like this animal. Now you go back to the covenant with Abraham, it's amazing. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And when the Lord made the covenant with Abraham, the animal was cut And then here's what happened. The Lord put Abraham to sleep and the Lord, his presence walked between that animal. I will keep this covenant independent of you, Abraham. I am the Lord. Ultimately, we fast forward to the cross and the Lord did keep that covenant when Abraham didn't keep his covenant nor any of his physical descendants nor any of his spiritual descendants have fully kept that covenant. And the Lord, we said it today in question 23, he had to be God because he kept the covenant and he laid down his life and he was slaughtered on our behalf for sinners. And then he rose from the dead and that never happened. Let's cut that animal in half, walk between. Hey, can I have my animal back? I kind of need that to haul my stuff back home. No, it's, it's gone. It's, it's done. Time's up. Expired. But the Lord resurrected. This is why you need the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because it, beco- it just continues to enrich how good is he. And if he nev- never does another thing for me, he kept the covenant. I can trust him. I can trust him. I can't trust my feelings. I can't trust my experiences. But I can trust his word. You can trust his word. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust in people. Trust in the word. They swore an oath. They cut an oath. We're going to walk. We're going to go in God's law. We're going to live in God's law. This is is supreme cost. They understood this. They knew their Bibles. They knew their history. They knew where they had just been brought back from. They knew Jeremiah looked for one man and couldn't find any. Matthew 16, this is what Jesus says in verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him, this is what you're going to have to do, deny yourself, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return or in exchange for his soul? Can I ask you the question this morning? What is more valuable to you than your soul? What is worth more than your soul? 
these individuals are realizing we need to walk in God's law. We need to return. There's a renewal happening. We will observe. We will keep this law. We will watch over this law. This is an intentional, we'll observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, it says in verse 29. And this is what Jesus, the second person of the triune God, he called for, he demanded our obedience. Listen to what Jesus said, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And what do they do? They follow me. They follow me. Luke 12, 43, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Not, not talking. Oh, I was going to... For you, Lord. No, 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 so doing. John 13, 17, if you know these things, that's good. I know so many things about the Bible. Yeah, all right. But Jesus says the blessing is when you do them. We saw that in Revelation. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. I mean, they've got it right twice will enter the kingdom of heaven, well, then who will, Lord? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Wait, is Jesus then teaching that we have to earn our salvation? No, we can't. It's impossible. He saves us, changes us, and then we follow him. It's a response. It's not a bribe. It's not a wage. It's grace. And if we have been saved by grace through faith, then we'll respond as his workmanship and all the glory and praise goes to him. And when we falter and fail and stumble, he is holding on to us. He is keeping us. He is changing us. And so we can be grounded in Christ. He's the one with all authority and he says it in Matthew 28. His parting words to his disciples, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's all mine. Verse 19, here's my command to the early disciples that has been passed down. And think about this. If Jesus would stand here today, I would gladly sit down. What would he say? Glad I have your attention. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. There's that same word. It's not just know it, read it, I, I understand it. It's observe. It's keeping it. So the word, it, I've often thought, well, why doesn't Jesus, why didn't, just, why didn't he just say obey all that I've commanded you? Because you can obey without observing it. Fine, we'll make disciples. Are you a disciple? Idiot, be a disciple. Good, I got another disciple. I can obey in that. That misses the spirit completely. To observe includes obedience, but it's care. It's taking care of something entrusted, valuable. To observe how much all that I have suggested to you. See what you can do? Commanded you. And what do we all do right there? I can't. Oh, 
you need this. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, not leaving you. How good is he? Thirdly, look, look at the stipulations of the covenant. Here we see the expectations must be clarified. If they're going to obey the word, okay, when, when we go through, when someone's married, we, we do have a wedding coming up, by the way. I've never done in a wedding, you know, anything that says, I promise whatever just wide open, you know, whatever you ever want, you know, that's, my, that's what I promise. No, it's specific. It's clear. Here's what is expected. In the fear of God, according to what is true, here's a covenant that a husband and a wife, a bride and a groom enter into till death do us part. It's, it's clear. They're entering into a covenant and then they're going to clarify this is what we're saying we're going to do the details, the brass tacks, right? Bottom shelf. This is where we always come away from a message and we say, what's the application? What is your next step? Otherwise, you know, and the Holy Spirit has to do that. It's not all on me. I have to yield to him and apply it in my life and you do as well in yours. And it's different in how we apply that. What you might be struggling with might be similar to what I'm struggling with. Might be radically different. How do we respond in obedience? And then they clarify, this is what, what we're going to know we need to do. Uh, letter A there, we will not have mixed marriages. No mixed marriages. That's in verse 30. In that culture, marriages were arranged. That's in many cultures, marriages are arranged. Even in our culture, it's still fitting and customary to ask permission. Can I marry your daughter? Will you give her? Will you trust me with her? If they engage with pagan, heathen families, not Israelite families, what are they doing? They're giving away their children to non-believing homes. That is reiterated, and we read it last week in the New Testament to not be unequally yoked with a non-believer because you're not sharing the same at the core, what is most important, your soul. And then children are born. In which direction are those children raised? Whose influence? It's intended by the Lord that a husband and wife become father and mother and then they raise those children in the fear of the Lord. And God can do that work even when someone comes to faith later after marriage and someone comes. Praise the Lord for his grace and mercy. But they are saying this, we're not, we will not do this. Now, a little spoiler alert here. We're not going to go about two chapters and they're going to break this covenant. We get to 13, they've already fumbled. And Nehemiah... <laughs> He goes, he goes off. He goes ham. He just, he just unloads. He, he would have been canceled for sure. And his prayer matches that, okay? Uh, then the next commitment they have, the stipulation, is we will keep the Sabbath in verse 31. It's a time for rest, a time for reflection and worship. This is a day of rest that Israel had. For them, it was from Friday evening, sundown, till Saturday evening, sundown, the Sabbath. 
Why do we worship on Sunday? Because Jesus rose on Sunday. He's the fulfillment of all of those days of looking forward and anticipating, so we worship on Sunday. And we rest, and we rejoice in the goodness of God. We're gonna see pretty soon that they go back on this commitment too. They open up shop again. They go right back to making money. How am I gonna make ends meet if, I, if I'm not open, if I, if, if I don't keep working? I have to keep working. Okay, I'm sorry. Who provides, you or God? That's the application in, in, in this Nehemiah context. And we understand there are certain careers and jobs that have to be all the time saving people alive. You have to do the work of, is this a life or death job? Which is not, will I make ends meet if I do this job or don't do this job? It's, it's, it's real hard work that has to be done here. Exodus 23, this... <laughs> This is where the command is given through Moses, verse 10. For six years, the Lord says, you shall sow your land and gather in its field. Now he's talking about the Sabbath, the year of rest. But in the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. What? Then he says about the Sabbath day, the Lord says, six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien or the foreigner may be refreshed. You don't own them ultimately. They need rest too. You understand that? We live in a culture that doesn't know how to rest well. Always on, always busy, always noisy. We're just terrible at resting. Be still and know that I'm God, Psalm 46. The year of rest, this would happen every seven years. Let the fields rest, all the workers rest. It's a Sabbath year to the Lord. Why were they in captivity 70 years? Because they went all of those years not resting the seventh year. And the Lord said, I'm going to get them back. I've been keeping track, and you owe me 70 years of rest. That's where the 70 comes from. In Leviticus 25, the people respond back like, well, what's going on here? I mean, it, it, we have talked about and we've looked at in years gone by. This is where a, a sabbatical, it's called, for a pastor to take a, a season of rest about every seven years of ministry. It forces a congregation to be looking to how are we raising up others. It's a long-haul approach to ministry instead of a use them, turn them, and burn them approach to ministry. It's very radical, and it's biblical. It's a year of rest. And some people are like, oh, what would happen? I, just imagine, if you just didn't show up to your job for a year, I hope it's good. You know, I'll be back in 2020, whatever, you know, 2023. See ya. Oh, man, we, we sold it. We hired all new people. You know, so just think about these people process through this. Leviticus 25, look at verse 18. Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. You got your walls, you got your gates. I'll take care of you. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, 
what shall we eat in the seventh year? If we may not sow or gather in our crops. Okay, you understand they're saying, what are we going to eat? I'm taking a year off and what are we going to eat? The Lord understood they would say this. Verse 21, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for how many years? Three years because you need a seed crop too. Do you understand what the Lord is doing to his people? Will you really trust me or do you just say that you trust me? Because if you trust me, I will give you a bumper crop every seven years that will be a three-year crop. Now suddenly it sounds different than the law and the commandment of the Lord. And he's saying, I'm going to give a nation every seven years off. Would you subscribe to that on your job? Every six years, a year off with pay. Now it sounds differently, doesn't it? Now you're like, um, excuse me, does this God, is he still hiring? Can I, can I be hired there? Do you understand why God did this? Because all of the nations would be like, man, we're over here working, 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 overtime, working, working, slaving away, working, working. Who is their God? Because they're eating, selling, they have plenty, and they haven't even worked in a year. And they have some to plant. Can we know your God? Does he have room? Because my little stone idol over here, he hasn't done nothing for me. He falls over, you know, I put him back up. Spiders build their webs around him. It's just, you can't even keep a spider off. Can we serve your God? This is incredible. I guess I got one more verse up there, 22. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. Do you hear what the Lord is saying? I'll take care of you. I'll give you bread. I took care of you in a wilderness and you had no farms. Now you have it all, trust me. And the next year, that crop would just come back. You ever see a farmer leave a field dormant for a year? Where does that come from? Right there. That old book? <laughs> yeah, creator wrote it. <laughs> Big difference. We'll also give the temple tax. That's what they're saying. Remember, this is Israel. They're going to support the temple ministry. We don't have a local temple. Okay, We have a church. But they're responding to the goodness of God. And they say, we're going to give a third part of a shekel every year. Moses said it needs to be a half. They're in tough times right now. So they said, let's make it a third. When Jesus walks the earth, they returned it back. It was back to a half shekel in Jesus' day. More emphasis on that temple again. It's about two-fifths of an ounce or 11 grams. What would that go to? What, the, what was the ministry in the temple? Well, there was the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things. The very important of all of those are important, but the pinnacle is the day of atonement. 
that that's our greatest need, our greatest problem is our sin problem. And so if the people all give, then the priests and the Levites, they have everything that they need to do to focus on worshiping the Lord. Whenever the people became stingy or forgot or didn't give, then the priests and the Levites would have to say, how are we gonna feed our families? Now their attention is diversified. Now it's you know living in, in two ways, dupli- I can't think of the word, duplicity. They're, they're supposed to be devoted to the Lord. But if the people forgot the house of the Lord and forgot to worship, all of that went by the wayside. New Testament, book of Hebrews, Jesus is better than all of this. He's the fulfillment of all of this. He is the sacrifice that we needed. What do we see in all of this? All of the miscellaneous, the work of the house of our God, verse 33, all of it. It's worship, it's community, it's life. And they're saying, we want to have part in that. So letter D, we'll bring our offerings. We'll bring our offerings. This is giving from the heart. This is giving that is generous. This is giving that is regular. This is giving that is prioritized. We say it in our, in our membership covenant. It's a biblical portion It shows thankfulness and it shows trust. Thank you, Lord, for how you've provided. You didn't owe me anything. And you've provided for me beyond what I deserve. And I give back to you and I thank you and I trust you for what is to come. In this, we see that the spiritual leaders, they committed to give a tenth of the tenth that was given to them. I had a friend that went to work for a church once. They didn't let him give in the offering. They just took it out of his paycheck. That's horrible. That's a horrible theology on giving. I I love to give. And I'm just wondering, do you work to give or do you work to get? Like, just work with that a little bit. Do you go to your job so that you can have money to get stuff, or do you go to your job to serve so that you can give? It's radically different perspectives on life. One is like Christ, selfless, and one is not like Christ, it's selfish. Well, I got this bill, and I got that bill, and I need that, and we're going to go there, and we're going to do all these things. I don't have any money left to give. Uh You know, maybe, maybe next time, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. They would give. Of all that was given to them, like, we want to have part in giving to this God. He's been good to us. Now, 450 years later, Zechariah is in one of these rotations, the father of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to this, because here's a connection to the New Testament. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Of the division of, we read his name, Abijah. He had credentials. He had a record. He had proof. And he had a wife from the daughters of, he's double qualified, daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Hmm, where did that start up again? Nehemiah, under the ministry of Ezra. You see in this connect together, 450 years later, they're still by the stuff, right? They're still walking in these ways. But here's a problem. They had no child, verse 7, because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And everybody in their day would have been saying, 
the Lord is judging them. There's secret sin in their lives because they don't have children and, and there's something wrong with them. That's what everybody else would have been saying, but that's not the truth. The truth is the Lord was doing something in them. He withheld fruitfulness from them for a reason. Now, verse 8, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, sounding familiar to Nehemiah 10? According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense. You see the connection? We have so many priests, who's going to have the opportunity to go in and, and offer incense? And they would cast lots. And that's how they had been doing it since the days of Nehemiah, since the days of Ezra. And the whole multitude, verse 10, of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him, you think? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And Zechariah says, how is, how is this gonna happen? I mean, have you seen in the mirror? This ain't going to happen. And the angel says, you're not going to speak. It will happen. You won't speak until it does happen. When the angel comes to Mary, how is this going to happen, she says. The, the, the little girl, oh, how is this going to happen? I can't wait to see this happen. Zechariah, the man in the, you know, walking in the fear of the Lord, had all the head knowledge. Ah, how can this happen? Sounds like an old guy, right? Ah, oh, this is impossible. This is just can't happen. This is just mathematically, you know, the years are gone. Read your Bible how much the Lord uses young people. Okay, Lord, that's what you said. Let's do it. That's a big giant over there. He needs to fall. He can't say all those cursings. And David ran at the battle. He knew his God. People committed to give a tenth of the Lord. First, it's the first fruits. It's the firstborns. They all belong to the Lord. Now listen, this is in law giving. This is, okay, we're going to, you know, and they parse this all out. Here's how much we're going to give and here's how much we're going to... That was looking forward to the cross. We live on this side of the cross and resurrection. So grace giving, would you say it is greater or less than law giving? Tenth giving, tithe giving is a wonderful place to begin teaching math to young children. Okay, you earn $10. A tithe is how much? Uh, oh boy, back to math, all right? A dollar, okay, there, there you go. There's a, just give a tenth to the Lord, that's a tithe, and then you begin to teach offering is, but I wanna give more. You know some people like that, that tip, you know, tip a waiter or a waitress, and they're like, okay, we're, we're, I wanna hit the 20%, where's that? But they've done a really good job, and I'm just gonna bless them beyond that. Oh, don't be, let's, let's not be like the Christians typically on Sunday afternoons that wait staff just can't stand when they see coming in the doors. Oh, here comes the Christians. I'm not going to give you any money, but here's a gospel track. There's, a, there's some good word for you. Like, hey, save your track. Give them, give them $100, you know, tip them. Be kind, be generous, be gracious. We give because we want to, because we love to, not because we have to. But I can't speak that for you, loved ones. I can say that, and you can even nod your head, but if that's not your heart, if that, how do I know my heart? Look in your checkbook. Look at the record. And, and, and you do that work between you and the Lord. 
The ministers committed to be good stewards of all that was given to the Lord. There was organization, there was stewardship, there was thanksgiving, worship, all part of giving. That when the Levites received it, there was priests there watching over it. There's accountability there. When you go to a birthday, when you go to a wedding, do you just show up or do you love to bring a gift to bless them? When you come to worship God, do you come like Paul said, let each one prepare first day of the week, come ready to give? Say, no, I give online on Saturday. Okay, right, you know, Paul didn't talk about that. It's the heart, it's the heart, it's always the heart. And what Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where you find your heart. People will do what they love. First Chronicles was also read in our welcome video this morning. First Chronicles 16, verse 28, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. He's inviting us in. Come, bring an offering. Oh, may we be like this. May we have this heart. Number four is the summary. It's the summary of the covenant, and it's a pledge from the heart. It all summarizes in, we will not neglect the house of our God. This pledge was personal. We, we will not neglect. I can't make this for you. Ezra couldn't make them. I mean... How many years? He's 14 years. He's like, oh, okay, about time. But he was there. Thank you, Lord. There's signs of life here. The people of God presented themselves together before the Lord. The people of God promised to not let the most important area of life in eternity fall to the wayside. Don't we have something we can learn there? keeping the main thing, the main thing. Have we made this commitment? In our membership covenant, that it'll come up on the screen. That's our membership covenant just right out of the Constitution and bylaws. That we're stronger together. We're part of a building. We're part of a body. These commitments come to faith. I'm growing as a follower of Christ, a learning disciple, a disciple, a believing learner, and a learning believer, right? I'll work things out, and I'll give as part of the body. It's our covenant. Have we neglected opportunities to serve the Lord because we're too busy doing whatever, and that covenant has fallen by the wayside? Only you can make this commitment, this resolution, this covenant. That's wonderful if your parents were committed, but what about you? It's time for us to slow down. I love that about Sundays. We come to this point and everything else just kind of stops. And we open the book and the book goes to work on our hearts. Be still, Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. What does the Lord promise? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And his people say, I want part of that. I'm all in.
This pledge was personal. This pledge was vertical. It was a personal pledge we will not neglect. This pledge is vertical. What are you not going to neglect? The house of our God. Where is your God? Show me, show me a little statue of your God. Well, actually, we're made in his image, so go look in the mirror. We're made in his image. We're image bearers. This was a vertical pledge. This was a God-centered pledge that this was the only nation that worshiped this God. And he was going to bless all other nations through this, this people, the descendants of Abraham, and they were to be ready to receive the coming Messiah King. And he would come. But their learning turned into head knowledge and perfunctory going through the motions instead of worship. Loved ones, we are his church. We're his people. We're his temple. We're his bride. We live on this side of the cross and the resurrection. If those who claim to be followers of Christ neglect the gathering and mission of the church, how will our neighbors and how will the nations hear? How will they be changed if they see us prioritizing a, an endless list of other things above gathering with the people of God to worship him, to serve, to walk together, so again, Hebrews 10, 23, 24, and 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Isn't that the same issue that they face? How are we going to know that we're going to have food on the ninth year? He's faithful. Do you trust him? That's what I'm saying to you. He's faithful. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Have you trusted in him? Verse 24, and let us, you hear the invitation here? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but instead of that, encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is drawing near. That's 2,000 years ago. We're closer now than they were then. The day is drawing near. And people say the end times. The end times has been since then, since they wrote that. We're in the end times. The church has always been at any moment, he'll return. It could be before this message is done. We're not quite at the six hours, so maybe. This pledge was pivotal. All right, this was a, this was a, this was a choice. We're going blessing, cursing, life, death. This is a pivotal message. This is a pivotal pledge here. Obedience from the heart would lead to great blessing from God. Disobedience would lead to judgment. And trust me, before we get out of this book, they're going to disobey their own word. They're going to forget. Oh, yeah. Isn't that your seal there? Oh, yes, it is. Then who did you give your daughter to marry? Oh. Uh, hmm. There's one verse in the Bible that says we can put God to the test, and it has to do with our giving. It has to do with our giving in Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. Now, Malachi's ministry probably happened when Nehemiah, he was a governor, Nehemiah went back to Persia. Verse 13, chapter 13, he comes back to Jerusalem. Malachi happened in between there, most likely. What was Malachi saying? Well, he had a message from God to the people. 
Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, put me to the test. Take me at my word. Trust me. That's what he's telling to his people, Israel. Now, here's what's different. We're not Israel. We're not living in Jerusalem. Our, our economy is not political and religious joined together. We live here as citizens of this nation. Those are separated, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's still, he's saying, put me to the test. You trust me with your children. You trust me with your resources. Trust me with your time and see what will happen. See what I can do which is different than you, striving and striving and striving. Oh, may we all hear this and respond, and may all who come behind us find us faithful, that we put God to the test in a right way, in a righteous way. So when God's people are renewed, they go all in, okay? They embrace, and we see it in this. We see the signatories, and that's the godly leadership, and they lead with boldness. The significance... Their devotion to God was supreme, the stipulations, we will obey the word, and the summary, it's all about the heart. Not just going through the motions. Fine, I'll give. No, no, no. The Lord wants your heart. And what changes us to bring us to this point of saying we will not neglect the house of our God is probably not just another sermon from the pastor. It's hearing from God himself through his word and that changing our hearts that's when things really begin to change. Now, can I ask you, are you here and you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your heart and life to him? That's where it begins. Not with giving more money, not with joining the church, not with doing something religious. It begins with, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I plead the blood of Christ on my account apply his righteous blood to my sin debt and my sin debt on his account. And it's called the great exchange that God can look on his children clothed in the righteousness of Christ and adopts us. Have you, have you done that? Have, have you confessed Christ as your Lord? Say, yes, I have. Okay, is there anything holding you back from going forward in this kind of obedience? A renewed vow. Remember, repent, and return, Jesus said to the church at Ephesus. Where is that in our lives today? And may God give us the eyes to see his goodness and respond. It's a response of worship. We're just responding to his goodness, saying, here I am, I surrender, because you're the only one worthy. You're the only one that can bear up the weight of my soul for all eternity, so here I am. I'm not holding back. Have you said that? Maybe today is your day. Let's stand together. Oh, Father in heaven, we hallow your name. We thank you that you are faithful and you are good and you have provided, you have provided for all of our needs, yes, but our greatest need is our sin problem and you provided our savior, your son to satisfy that debt. And so we stand in awe and we stand humbly before you today. 
having received the gift of salvation or perhaps someone needing to receive this gift of salvation in Christ alone. May this day be a day of revival. Our nation needs this, Lord. We cry out to you, so many broken. So God, meet us, meet them right where they are. Meet us where we are and use us, use our hands, use our feet, use our lives, use our resources, use it all for the honor and glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.